0: By no means could you call my show one of a political nature, but we will revisit the political world today regarding impeachment, President Trump's speech at the pro life rally, and a lot more on this week's Corey Act show. For the few hundred of you that have been listening since the beginning, or maybe even back into the Tony Beam days, if I asked you, what's my favorite thing? Like, what's my favorite thing to do when I've got a mic in my face and I'm doing the show? I think you guys might actually catch on to, my favorite thing is to say something that is is unique enough that makes every side uncomfortable, and I'm getting to do my favorite thing today. Welcome in to everybody for this week's Corey Truax Show. Glad you're here on Saturday morning at 8.05 on 91.9 and 92.9, his radio talk. If you are listening live on Saturday morning, happy February. I'm fairly sure that's, am I right? That's the first day of February, is February 1. So uh, happy February to you. The year's already getting by us all. And if you're listening on the podcast, wherever you find fine, Podcast, thank you for doing so. We've not done a lot of politics, and I, I, I tried not to, uh, but it's it's a part of the world. You know, I consider the show as as we are dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk. Now, we talk about everything here. We we think there needs to be better talk about the culture and family and finance and worldviews and philosophy. One of the parts of life is the political world. And recently, I was over at my nephew's house, uh, Caleb and Kobe. Hi guys. They don't listen to the show, so there's nev- they're never going to be they're never going to know they've been t- said hi to. But one of them who is the more uh, the more given to frivolity of the two he asked me about impeachment he asked what was going on there like what's this thing that i'm seeing i on you out on youtube and then someone else i know in my personal life uh, someone i work with at north greenville university with some some spirit of concern because i guess she knew i pay, i used to pay attention more to politics I was really asking like what's happening how I need someone to explain what's going on. And so it's it's probably worth revisiting all the political world, and we're going to do that today. I want to start here, though. The thing I'm going to say that makes everybody uncomfortable. In Christian and conservative worlds, and those are two different things, by the way, Christian and political conservatism, there was a lot of celebration last week over President Trump speaking at the Right to Life March in Washington, D.C. Every year, I'm inspired by that reality that hundreds of thousands of people show up. Every year, it's the largest thing that happens in D.C. to stand for and march for the rights of the unborn, that humans in the womb are deserving of the dignity and protection of humans outside of the womb. And they celebrated that this powerful position, the president, this bully pulpit, that he came and addressed that crowd, addressed them favorably, and said many pro-life things. I'm not just being an anti-Trump person here. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being the mature voice, as I usually am. I'm being the, the voice that has some perspective in it, as I usually am, not getting caught up in all the meaningless, frivolous political games. I saw that the president was going to be speaking at that rally, and I had a much different reaction, and I wonder if I could win you over. If you're, if you're one of the folks that just said, that is objectively good, that's awesome, that's incredible, a president of the United States spoke at the, at the Pro-Life Rally, the March for Life, and that's, that's objectively good. Let me see if I can convince you. One of the things that we're bad at is recognizing the, how small the—that uh, w- where we are in time— is not nearly as big of a deal as we think it is, that it's a very small blip in all of our lives, that the one year in our life is only the one year in comparison to the 80 to 85 years that we get on the planet, that the one election is just this one, and there's going to be a lot more after that. We do a bad job as people, including myself, at understanding the perspective of time. And so here I am, maybe the issue I care about the most, and it probably should be the... the issue we all care about the most, the idea that we would stop the wanton murder of children in the womb, and I think about it with a long-term horizon. I think about where we started in 1973 with Roe v.ersus Wade and where we've got to. We've made so much progress, guys, even in the public opinion world. You know, millennials and Gen Z are actually more pro-life on their preferred policies on abortion than baby boomers are. There's now a majority, and it's almost a supermajority in the country, that are for banning abortion in the final trimester. It's a small majority of Americans who say they want to ban abortion in the second and third trimesters. And then it's not a majority, it's a smaller group, it's a plurality, would like to ban abortion somewhere in the first semester. Like, we've made so much progress. And I look out at the pro-life movement as something that's existed for decades and must exist for decades more. And the way that it will ultimately be successful, the way we will finally end this national sin, the national sin that's right up there with our other national sins, slavery is probably the worst thing we did after that Native Americans and then what we did to Native Americans and, and how we treated them in their relocation, and then... Abortion. These three horrible things that we have done. It will end when we win enough people to our side, when we have convinced with compelling and winsome arguments. We have to stop this madness. We have to stop the bloodshed. And if my goal is to win people over, something I don't want to do is poison the well with needlessly controversial, and needlessly divisive figures. Consider. There might be some folks you could win over to the pro-life argument that are wavering on it that aren't really sure in their position, but they know their position on President Trump. They know how he's behaved. They know the person he is. And you just associated pro-lifeism with him. What's more important to you? The pro-life cause or the pro-Trump cause? What's more important to you? That we meet our goals of seeing abortion end on this planet or seeing President Donald Trump re-elected in 2020. What's your bigger goal? I know what mine is. And what I'm trying to tell you is, yep, you got to feel good. Some powerful person, person at a a high level, spoke to your rally, but... My estimation is he probably hurt the movement because he's a divisive figure. He's not one of us. He never has been one of us. He just knows who his friends are. He knows who his allies are, and he treats his allies well. If there's one thing you can say good about him, that's what he does. He treats his allies well. Those who partner with him and tell him he's awesome and cheer him on, he will give them what they want. He wants to. He's, he, he is a quid pro quo type of guy in that way. He, he tries to be good to those who are good to him. And so there's my uncomfortable statement. I wish he wouldn't have been invited. I wish he wouldn't have come. It's not good. It's not good that he got associated with a, a great movement because he goes away eventually. That's the problem people have. He does go away, everybody. He isn't eternal. He's not forever. But the pro-life movement needs to be alive decades from now, and he won't be a political figure in either one year or five. So that's... All right, there you go. I just wanted to give that out there. Uh, I, I'm, I care about the pro-life movement deeply, and I think he's ultimately going to hurt it by being associated with it. All right, let's move on. I got the question from my nephew about impeachment, got the question from the coworker about how that's going to shake out, and I will admit some of my own conviction. Yeah, it's a good word. That I haven't paid a ton of attention, as I've said, because I, I know how it's going to end from the beginning, so I have not paid a ton of attention. The degree to which I was paying attention is on the way home from work each day, I would turn on NPR on the way home thinking I was going to get a synopsis of the day's events around impeachment, but NPR was actually just playing it live. And so I would take in 30 minutes, 40 minutes of the uh, of the proceedings as I rode home from work. Uh, and then I, I did go out and seek out an, an NPR of. Uh, a synops- It was a synopsis. Like they they summed up the three days of arguments for the removal of the president. As I'm speaking to you now, as I actually recording, the defense has not really gotten underway in totality yet. So we have not heard the president's arguments. So let me give you what I've uh, my reactions thus far. Here's my reactions thus far to what's going on in the impeachment trial of the president of the United States. One. I have heard enough that I think he should be censured. I've heard enough from the prosecution that there should be a formal rebuke. The, the way that the parliamentary systems, like in Israel and Britain, yeah, they do votes of no confidence, something like that, some kind of rebuke, some kind of censure. Like it doesn't remove him from office, but some kind of censure. And primarily for this reason. I, I think as bad as the House managers are, because you know, this is one of those things that's hard for me, I don't like the president, but his enemies are also terrible. Like, everyone involved is just horrible. Everyone's a bad person. I I am deeply bothered, and it sh- it sh- I think it probably should bother all of us, how much Rudy Giuliani is mixing the worlds. So, R- Rudy is supposed to be the president's personal lawyer. Donald Trump's lawyer on everything except governmental things, because... Donald Trump is supposed to be fulfilling a job to the American people. So you can have your own personal lawyer that's still dealing with your your business interests and family interests and other stuff in your life. But the 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 office of the presidency and what Rudy Giuliani does for the for Donald Trump should never intersect. I one of my principles is I always want to make sure I'm very consistent there's a lot of things that Donald Trump is being accused of that I look back at other presidents, and they did something similar, and we didn't punish that president, so I don't want to punish this one because I want to be a consistent person. But this particular thing, using the personal lawyer to do stuff that crosses lines. I mean, going into Ukraine and dealing with some of the political stuff, that's not personal business. That's the business of the United States, and you shouldn't be using your personal lawyer for that. And so just for what Rudy has done, just for that alone, I am okay with censure. I have not gotten to—I'm not surprised I haven't. I, I didn't think the impeachment case was all that strong to begin with. And hearing it summed up by Adam Schiff and some others, it, it hasn't gotten more compelling for me. So let me give you one more principle. We'll take a break. I'm going to come back and talk about more thoughts on this impeachment thing with in fullness. We have to be careful for our future. I wanted to connect it to that first story. One of our problems in the pro-life movement is we're not thinking about the pro-life movement 10 years from now. We're just thinking about it right now. Equally, we as a country, we need to be mature enough to recognize what we're doing on impeachment right now should matter 10 years from now. What we're doing to the process, what we're doing to the presidency, what we're doing to the Congress... And for, so for those for removing the president and against removing the president, let me encourage you. Something we need to be here is careful about our future. What are we doing to our institutions going forward? Because we're not the only people that, that matter, right? We, we want the country, the Constitution, our institutions to be healthy for the next hundreds and hundreds of years until Jesus returns. And so let's be careful about how we're handling this going forward. We'll get back into the details and my thoughts on what's going on in impeachment when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. <music> Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. You can follow along in life as we go throughout the week. Share your thoughts. You can also share your thoughts at Corey Truac Show at gmail.com. Corey Show at gmail.com. We are talking about the impeachment. Hopefully. A little bit differently than everyone else is talking about it because we try to come from a distinctly Christian perspective, not a conservative one, not a liberal one, not a Republican one, not a Democrat one. We come at things uniquely Christian. If you come at things uniquely Christian, you will fit into none of the categories that the world provides you. And so hopefully this is a different level of conversation than you're hearing Anywhere else regarding this thing. So I started here. I've heard enough from the prosecution that I would be okay with censuring the president, some kind of formal rebuke for how he's handled Rudy Giuliani and that business. And one of my principles going forward is I want to be careful about what we're doing to the process of impeachment and to the presidency, to the legislative branch, that we're not setting dangerous precedents. With that, I want to play for you something from Adam Schiff. This, uh... Schiff guy is, he's not a good guy, all right? So listen, I'm not going to pretend that by any stretch. Um, And he's made some decent arguments. He's made some dishonest arguments during this period. Uh, But uh, I want to play for you something from his closing argument that I think is quite important. So uh, this is Adam Schiff near the end of his closing argument regarding uh, why the president of the United States should be removed from office.
1: Here, right is supposed to matter. It's what's made us the
0: greatest nation on earth. No constitution can protect us. Right doesn't matter anymore. And you know, you can't trust this president, do what's right for this
1: country. If you find him guilty, you must find that he should be removed because right matters.
0: Because right matters. This is sounding like me right? I I heard him make this argument and went, yeah, this is the most me thing I've ever heard anyone say because I'm that guy, right? I'm the guy who says there is no, like, I I don't care about the consequences of doing the right thing. Like, even if the, if the consequences of doing the right thing make me miserable, I'll still do the right thing because all that matters is doing the right thing. If, if doing the right thing hurts my side or my, or my uh, my political party or even hurts my interests who cares just do the right thing now i don't think adam schiff believes a word he's saying there i think he's disingenuous he's got an agenda but the words he's saying there technically are correct i think there's a little bit more from him here because right matters and the truth matters otherwise we are lost 100% 100% co- <clears throat> uh, co-sign that statement. I believe everything you just said. I I, I don't think the, the people pursuing this impeachment believe any of that. I think they have their own political need. So that, But what he said there, let me just say, I agree. I'm in. I just want whatever's right to take place. And so in that vein, let me give you s- some thoughts on what I've seen. Because, again, I, again, many times I've said this. I think I am uniquely qualified for this. Because I don't like any of them. I just can't stand a single one of them. They're all terrible. And so I can just look at it with, I think, a fairly, uh, I can look at it fairly. So here we go. I am genuinely curious as to why the House didn't send over something different, right? So one of the arguments folks on the right are making uh, for, for example, there's a there's a vote coming this week, and if you're listening live on Saturday, I think that vote would have already happened. About whether or not more witnesses or sh- should be uh, brought in for this trial, if if there should be more documents submitted, and I, I am g- genuinely curious. It's not a partisan thing. Why the House didn't already do it? I'm not. That's not making a point against them. I'm. I wish I had an answer about that. Like, if you wanted to hear from John Bolton you should have subpoenaed him in the house. And if you wanted to hear from Mick Mulvaney you should have subpoenaed him in the house. And if they would not comply with the subpoenas, you should have gone to the courts and let the courts adjudicate that. And if I mean if the courts uh, decided against you then all right I mean we got we got to move on and you, you you take the case that you do have. but maybe the courts decide for you but even if it's not those two people, Bolton and Mulvaney whatever documents it is I, I, I'm not trying to make any argument for either side I'm just saying the the case that they presented and I've heard a, enough of it to go yeah these are some of these things are bad I can't find any of them impeachable like you remove a guy from office but if there is evidence and that's what the it seems like the Democrats are saying is well the evidence is there and we need more witnesses and more evidence so we need more uh, documents to get there well you actually have the power in the house even like right now you do. So why not do it? I mean it's like right right now. Like you still have subpoena power. I don't actually know why Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and those people aren't trying to get those documents in those in that testimony themselves literally right now. You have the majority in the house. So I don't know why they sent over what they sent over. And it seems like part of their issue was urgency. like we, we we need to do this soon because there's an election coming. And so before that election gets here, we need to get this settled. But you also impeached him and held on to the charges for 30 to some odd days. So that, that's hard for me to reconcile. It's hard for me to reconcile the left saying, we can't go to court and we can't wait. We got to get this done. Also, we're going to hold on to this charge for 30 days. And that's, again, partly because the left doesn't actually have any constitutional concern here. They, they have political concerns, but they don't care about what's right and wrong and what should be. And they did that for political purpose. Pelosi held those back for political purposes. And so I'm just genuinely curious. Why didn't you call those witnesses when you had, the, when you had it in the House? Why didn't you subpoena those documents when you had control in the House? Why aren't you even doing it now? And then further... I heard Adam Schiff use the language during one of his speeches about bribery and extortion, bribery and extortion. And that, my ears perked up, because historically in America thus far, we haven't had a lot of impeachments, and that's good. Um, It's been more than just presidents. We've impeached more than presidents. Most of those impeachments, not all, most of those impeachments included an underlying crime, so Bill Clinton wasn't technically impeached for his immorality with Monica Lewinsky. He's technically impeached for an underlying crime. The crime underneath the immorality was uh, obstruction of justice, maybe? Or was that perjury? He, uh, com- he committed a crime. He committed a crime, and so that was supposed to be why the impeachment took place. right? And so when you say bribery and extortion, when Schiff is saying what Trump is doing on that phone call, with the Ukrainian president, is he's trying to bribe him, or he's ext- or the other way you could do bribery, I guess, is extortion. So, hey, I'll give you money if you give me what I want, or I won't give you money unless you give me what I want. I guess that's extortion. Then why didn't you charge him with that? Like, do do that then. Go back to the house and do it again. Go charge him with bribery and extortion, and then bring that charge forward. Instead, what you sent over... Was something that's not happened before, like just abuse of power. Again, with my my interest here being that we don't break impeachment and we don't break the executive branch, we don't break the legislative branch for the next hundred years of the republic. I look at abuse of power, and yeah, I I can see some ways Donald Trump abused power, but not necessarily in a way that's distinct from George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton. Like there's some abuses of power, and so extortion and bribery are like real crimes. So, go over to the house, collect some evidence, actually impeach him for extortion and bribery, and then see if you have a case for it. Like that's that seems like it would make more it make more sense than what what we've got because if 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 the the if the case they gave thus that they have thus far, I again, I, I could vote for censure. I could vote for some kind of formal rebuke but because I want to be careful about impeachment and how we use it for the rest of time and this executive branch, legislative branch. I couldn't vote to impeach right now. This goes to a theme of the show today because I am trying to not let one man break everything for all time. He's just one guy. We can't let Donald Trump break the country. We can't let him break all of our institutions. We can't let him break all of our customs. He's a he's been a he has been a poisonous ingredient in the culture. There's not a question there. He's been bad for our culture. He's been good for the economy. He's been bad for the culture. That's all true. And I, I, I thus far can't see a reason consistently I, for me to be a consistent person going forward and how and opinions in the back, excuse me, opinions in my past. To remove him for office for what I've heard thus far. Now, there is apparently some vote coming, or if you're listening on Saturday, probably already happened, on whether or not to bring in witnesses and uh, get more into subpoena evidence uh, documents and like and all that. I have mixed feelings. So uh, here and here's my consternation, and I could probably be convinced one way or the other if you disagree with what I'm about to say. Uh, it's show at gmail.com, show at gmail.com, or Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. On the one hand, I'm all about transparency. Like, On the one hand, I want the American people to know everything. And so, yeah, let's get witnesses. I said, I actually went back and listened to a little clip of my show from about three months ago, where I said Rudy Giuliani should testify. That's the key here. It's not John Bolton. It's not Mick Mulvaney. Rudy Giuliani should testify under oath. And that's I think he's the key to the whole thing of finding out what the motives were and what actually happened and what the president wanted. And so on one hand, I am, yes, let's get witnesses. And by that, I do mean all of the witnesses. I mean Mulvaney and Bolton and Giuliani, but I also do mean Joe Biden and Hunter Biden because it it is... Germane. That is the legal term, germane. It's germane to one of the main arguments. Something I picked up in the in the proceedings thus far is one of the, the arguments from the House managers, the Democrats, is the president was doing something corrupt. He was looking for an investigation into the Bidens that was unjust, Something just something to hurt the Bidens. Well, one of the legal and rational responses would be, oh, no, let me show you. Let me show you how corrupt the Burisma thing was. Let me show you how corrupt this job Hunter Biden had. Let me show you this corruption. And even let me show you the corruption behind Joe Biden and what he did with this this prosecutor. And so on one side I am, yeah, let's get all the witnesses, and I mean all of them, because again, everyone here is terrible, so let's establish how terrible everyone is. And then the other side of me says, "Well, that was the House's job. It was the House of Representatives' job to call those witnesses, and it was the House of Representatives' job to seek out those documents. And so because they were so dishonest and disingenuous in how they've gone about this process, I'm not bailing them out. You guys in the House didn't do your job to put together the right case, and so you sent over an incomplete case." You sent over an inadequate case, and I'm not saving your tail now. Even to the extent that I'm almost ready to say, don't get the witnesses. Go ahead and exonerate, or whatever the word is, acquit him, acquit the president, and go back to Nancy Pelosi and say, if you want to try again, try again. But do it right this time. Like, I don't think there's, I, I don't know, I don't think there's double jeopardy for presidents. I don't think you can, I think you can impeach him again. By the way, I think if he gets reelected, they probably will. They probably will impeach him again, and maybe do a maybe do a more complete job the next time. All right, so there you go. That's where I'm sitting on impeachment thus far. The president and Rudy Giuliani's arrangement is illicit. It's wrong, and the president should have some kind of punishment for it. The case the these folks otherwise made regarding. A, a somewhat vague abuse of power, and they, I shouldn't say vague. I mean, they they're making specific arguments regarding that one phone call. I, I don't think there was enough there. Obstruction of Congress. I couldn't vote to. I could not vote to impeach. But the, the House could have done a better job, and maybe the House needs to do another do do the job. And I, I could go either way on bringing in witnesses or not. And that's as fair as I can get, guys. That's I'm just trying to just trying to be fair in how I look at all these things. Uh, out in this terrible political world in which we live. Hey, here's some good political news. Jesus still rules. <laughs> so uh, that's actually what of Spurgeons, my, one of my favorite quotes from Spurgeon. I think it's something like, there is one political axiom that comforts me in times of ter- and political turmoil, and that is that Jesus Christ reigneth. And I was like, yeah, that's how I feel, because that is good news compared to where we are. All right, so that's uh, where I am on impeachment. Next up, here is where I'd like to go. And it gets me back into more of my wheelhouse. It is some Bible stuff and Christian worldview on something that is political. Here's something that bothered me recently. I saw this fairly fairly viral clip of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic congressperson from the Bronx, I think, just basically saying rich people are evil. Uh, she the the quote that went viral was you know we we don't say to Jeff Bezos we want your money we want your power, and I think that's true I think she's she's power hungry but that was one of the viral things and it's just one of the themes out there on the left that the rich are bad the rich are evil, but something I have seen countermanding that argument has started to bother me on the right. There seems to be. because the left is saying this one thing about how bad rich people are, that there is now a growing defense and affinity for rich people because they're rich. And it's one of those unhealthy reactions. It's like, I know who my enemies are. My enemies are saying rich people are bad. So I love rich people and rich people have never done anything wrong. That is growing on the right. There's a It's just an equal and opposite reaction thing. I don't like the Democrats. They say the rich are bad, so I love the rich, and I defend everything they do. And so this is the thing I love about the Bible and the Christian worldview. It looks at the left, and it looks at the right, both, from time to time, and says, nope, your worldview's wrong. Here's the Bible. Here's what the Bible actually says. So let me develop this for you. The Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders version of the world, that rich people having money is evil. They're just bad. That's not a biblical worldview. If you have that worldview, you should repent of your worldview and follow after Christ and get in line with the scripture, right? If you resent and hate poor people, that's a problem in your own soul. Excuse me, if you resent and hate rich people, but poor people do. Now, also, listen to me. If you see wealth as an absolute sign of God's favor, and God just super-de-duper loves the rich people, and it doesn't really matter what they do with their money, because that's their money and they earned it, or, it, or they inherited it, belongs to them, they could do whatever they want. Also, your attitude is unbiblical. You need to put yourself in line with the Scripture. So, I learned years ago from a guy named Wayne Grudem, one of the great theologians of our time, of the actual categories in the Bible for money. Because having money isn't inherently righteous, but listen... Being in poverty isn't inherently righteous. The Bible doesn't teach that the money or the lack thereof is the sign of good or evil or righteous or unrighteous. So four categories that I learned from uh, Wayne Grudem. One, there are in the Bible the righteous poor. There are those like the widow's mite. She's she's a good, righteous woman. She's faithful with the little that she has. You can see this in some of Jesus' Uh, What's it's called? Parables as well. That there are the righteous poor. They're good. They're generous with the little that they have. There's also the unrighteous poor. You get warned about the unrighteous poor throughout Proverbs, particularly in Proverbs 6:10. You get the language about how long are you going to sleep, oh sluggard? Uh, how how long are you going to lie there? It's a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. I think is what it is. And poverty will come to you like a robber. Like, there is this theme in Proverbs that just because you're poor doesn't mean you're good. Sometimes you're, you're poor and unrighteous. The, the greed is not just a rich people thing. You can be greedy and really wealthy, excuse me, and really poor, too. It's having a, an, uh, an idea of not being generous. It's just you, you don't live in a generous way. So there are the righteous poor and the unrighteous poor. Both exist. And then there's the unrighteous rich. You'll see those warned about throughout the prophets. You'll see those like uh, I forgot the name of that one in Kings uh, that ends up being eaten by the dogs. In any event, like you get you get those in the Proverbs, uh, excuse me, the prophets that testify against those who have unweighted scales and all the people with the rich and have the land and have the power and they're treating the poor improperly. And then you have the righteous rich good people who have a lot. Abraham had a lot. Job had a lot. Joseph of Arimathea had a lot. There's a lot of righteous rich people, too. And so you know those categories now. The Bible does not associate wealth or poverty, either one, directly with virtue or with evil. And so when we come back, I got a couple more thoughts on that and how we biblically think about the rich and the poor. And then we'll do a little bit more before sports when you come back for the rest of the Cory Act Show. <laughs> Welcome back to the final segment of the Corey Act Show. We've got to move quickly, so here we go. So the Bible does not give us the right, does not give us the teaching uh, us to be like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders, to just look at the rich and say, you guys are bad and evil. It also doesn't give us the, the ability to look at the poor and say, you guys are awesome. Uh, and the, the inverse is also true for those, that there are, there are righteous and unrighteous rich, there are righteous and unrighteous poor, It's all about how you steward that which God God has given you when you acknowledge the little or the much that God has given. It is from him, and then you steward it well, and you're generous in your heart towards others. And so that works itself out in this way. For the believer, we might say, with uh, with a, a lot of good biblical thinking behind us, just because there are billionaires and they have a bunch of money, it is not not okay to see their stuff, to envy it, and then to seek out governmental power to tax them a whole bunch and take their stuff. That's not virtuous behavior. But here's the problem I'm running into. The folks who are just, they're not conservative, they're just anti-left, they're not thinking Christianly, they're now defending anything that the rich might do. So, here, here's what the Christian would say, though. To Apple, to Jeff Cook and the guys who run Apple, guys, you are using something related to slave labor. Not for all of it, but what you, some of the things you make in China, this is unrighteous behavior. Now, I'm not asking any government to tax you to death or regulate you out of, out of existence, but I would call with a prophetic voice to those folks, stop doing that. Stop treating people that way. I don't I wouldn't mind saying to Jeff Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos and some of the the billionaire bankers of the world, "Hey guys, you guys have so much. You don't need your fourth house in Malibu. You don't need that upgrade on that jet. You don't need a lot of the opulence that you have. You should be a generous person. You should start giving you start giving some of your your money away." I don't mind saying to Jeff Zuckerberg, "Hey man, you built Facebook it's incredible you just des- you deserve every dime you've made for the for your stick and for your your ingenuity and your creativity that is your money and I am not adv- advocating for a second the government try to take it from you but bro you're one of the real reasons that property values went up in that part of California so much so that no one can live there Middle-class people just can't live there anymore. You're part of the problem because those, those incomes went up so quickly. You know what you should do? You should give away a lot of your money. You should be generous with it. We have a homeless epidemic in that part of California. You should go solve it because you've got the resources to do it. You've got more resources in the entire state of California almost. Go solve it, man. Go do a good thing. And that makes conservatives, for whatever reason, makes them uncomfortable that I am saying to someone who has a bunch of money, hey, you're using it poorly. You're not using it righteously. You have a lot, and you're not doing the good, some good things you could be with it because you say, well, that's none of your business what they do with their money. I, I, listen, I come from outside either, any of these systems. I'm not saying the government should go take their money and do a good thing with it, but I would say to the rich in this country, you guys have so much. Share. Be, be generous. Be good to those around you. Even if you've gotten all your dollars righteously, and I don't doubt that. If you've gotten all of your dollars, you've not exploited anybody to get your money. It's not what what Bernie says and AOC says. You've not gotten your money and your wealth and your opulence with dishonest scales. You didn't do that. But what I am telling you is your soul would benefit. The people around you would benefit by doing something different with your money, and that's a word for all of us. We all have a little more than we need, it's a call to generosity here. And so it's it's just this weird it's this weird thing I'm seeing out there where if I say that we have we do have a problem with greed, like it exi- like yes, a lot of rich people are very greedy. I don't mind saying it. And folks on the right kind of freak out. What are you saying we should do? I'm saying people should be better people. No, I'm not. And so, and if Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Bernie Sanders say to me after I say, "Well, yeah, there's a lot of greed amongst rich people." Well, that's right. We should. That's why we should get their. We should take their money. We should take their stuff. And we should tax them. No, it's theirs. It's rightfully theirs. It belongs to them. Don't don't do that you you actually hurt the economy more broadly for everybody else but it's also it's not moral it's not moral to take their stuff but yeah i wish they would do something differently with it and that's the prophetic voice the christian should have in that world we don't sound like a we don't sound like AOC and bernie and talking about the rich like they're evil and we want to take their stuff we also don't talk about the rich or the poor for that matter the ways that the conservatives do we just recognize that everybody could be better could be stewarding what they have better and managing their lives better all right looks like i saved myself about 90 seconds to do this thing i wanted like 10 minutes to do but here we go there's a new documentary coming out on netflix about taylor swift and i should admit i just love her she's like my favorite i am a huge taylor swift fan love all the music this documentary looks insufferable to sum up the trailer, I was going to play the trailer for you. It, it has her saying in her early career when she wasn't she wasn't saying much about what's going on in the culture that she was being told that nice girls uh, don't give out their opinion. And now she, she feels free and she's saying all of these things and she's so brave. And what she's saying, by the way, are just a bunch of pro-LGBT stuff. That's her big new voice. And it's obnoxious because this is a thing that folks on the secular left like to do. They like to say things that are unbelievably popular and then call themselves brave for it. Like, the the most popular opinion in the country right now is pro-LGBT stuff. In 2020, and we got Taylor Swift out here acting like she's Miss Bravey McBraveface because she's saying everything that will get her adulation and commendation. All she's going to be told is how woke and awesome and brilliant she is for this. And she's going out there like, I am so brave. Can you believe the risk that I am taking by saying this thing that absolutely everyone agrees with? It's just obnoxious, and it makes me sad. All right, we have the triumphant return of sports. Thanks for listening to The Cory Truax Show. Let's move on. Are you? Some level, it's a sad time of year. Football is leaving us, and we're going to talk about the ending of the college football season with our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hi there, sir. Hello. So, I have two reactions to the national championship game. Mm-hmm. I want to get your reaction to my reactions, and then just get your thoughts generally. Sure. Right. So, number one, I was so proud of Clemson fans because th- after that loss, yep. they all seemed to know. All right. See you next year.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you know, Clemson's been for the last five years, won Two out of the last four, you really can't complain. You had a twenty nine game win streak. Yep. You know all these records are being broken, and LSU won the game. You, you give LSU credit, which is another thing I appreciate about the the post game conferences, press conferences with Dabo. The players very complimentary of LSU. Uh, you know you don't whine about the refs. You don't whine about certain plays or the non non call on certain such and such play. I appreciate that. Even Dabo, you know, would, yeah, said, "Hey, this is about LSU." this is not about Clemson. They earned it. They won it. Yep. Go talk to them. Let them have their credit. They earned it. To my own, I'll say something bad about myself.
0: For 24 hours, I didn't get on Twitter because I thought Clemson people are going to be so upset. Right. When I finally did it and started looking through the hashtags, I was like, you people are awesome. Yeah. Thanks everybody
1: for behaving. Like, hey, good game LSU. See you next year.
0: I, I think I saw one person being kind of a jerk. Right. Talking about, I think it was the, was there a T. Higgins pass interference call near the end? There was, yeah. It's like someone was being a little weird, but we're ninety nine percent of fans yeah. were like, "Hey, that was fun! What a great season! Fourteen one! Yeah,
1: see you next year! Great season! I mean, God, really? Awesome. What do you? What do you? Every you can't expect them to win every single game. No, you know what I mean. No fan base can. Like that's unreal expectation. And it, it
0: also felt like I felt like for the Clemson fans finally because I have felt this way about Clemson for a few years now. Yeah, you do belong. Yeah, you belong. You're the top of the mountain. You are feel that way.
1: And just if, when you lose, just know you're coming right back. Right, I, I think they are the premier program in the country.
0: The only argument to me could be you know, Alabama, or Ohio State, but Ohio State actually hasn't won. An, an uh, he, they haven't won two. You know, yeah, as, Ohio as State hasn't era.
1: hasn't earned that to me. Not quite. Do they have the talent to earn that? Yes, they oh, do. Oh yeah, yeah, they're they do. So good. Uh, I think it remains to be seen if Alabama is going to um, ascend back to where they were, yep. or if they're kind of you know on the way down, which which is the ebb and flow of college football. It, no one stays. Prevalent and relevant forever. They just don't. When your coach is th- that age, yep. you just have to assume that it's
0: it has to come to an end for everybody at some right. point it just does, because yeah. of age. The other reaction I had, and then I just only I want to get your thoughts. I think Clemson's defense played them as good as you can play them. They did, and I think there's only one defense in maybe the last 20 years of college football that could have slowed them down. And it would have taken Cleveland Farrell, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, and Austin Wright. Oh, yeah. It would have taken those four.
1: It would have. I thought they did a fantastic job. I think Clemson could have really put the pressure on LSU in the first quarter uh, if they would have put some of those in the end zone instead of you know the three-and-out situations. The same situation with Ohio State against Clemson. Yeah. If you score on those opportunities, it puts a lot of pressure on LSU offense. But, I mean, their offense is a well-oiled machine, but the bad thing for LSU is all those guys are leaving. Yeah. The offensive coordinator is gone. Joe Burrow has gone. I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah, actually, um, they, I don't know if they have the sustainability that I hate. You know, I'm, I hate to say this, but the Clemson has. But yeah, Clemson keeps earning that every year. I was off air. I was telling you, I was making an analogy
0: yeah. uh, about Auburn when they had Cam Newton. How Clemson was not that team. Yeah. but LSU, I think probably is like if they didn't win one right now. They weren't going to win one.
1: Yeah, I think if they didn't win this one, it would be a, a long time coming for the next one because, because you have to rebuild everything.
0: They just had their Cam Newton. Yeah, they did. And it and it was that, is it Brady? Was he the coach? Uh, Joe Brady? He was the passing yeah, game coordinator yeah, for Yeah, he's with the Panthers now. Panthers now. Like, all of the stuff that made them what they were this year, an incredible special year. Yeah. All of it's gone, and they're going to revert back to normal LSU, which is nine or ten wins.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're still going to, you know, challenge for the – for the SEC title, I do, I do think that. But I mean, you had the the perfect storm for LSU. You got a you know transfer comes in. It's his second year. It's his last year, and the the dude can just throw the ball. He sure Some can. of those passes that like people keep giving AJ Terrell a hard time, but he was in very good coverage on a couple of those plays. Absolutely. But the ball was in the perfect spot. No one could. It's where it was supposed to be. It, Terrell, and but, that's to Joe Burrow's credit, yes. whether you like him or not.
0: Yeah, the guys. The guy is going to. Uh, probably have a decent NFL career, but yeah. you know I love, I love football. Yeah. I think more than a, a lot of people do. And you know
1: some football plays. If you're in round football, you just say tip your hat to the Absolutely. other guy. That's what you do. And there's there's something about me
0: watching that game as something of a Clemson fan. Going, what I'm seeing is just beautiful.
1: Yeah, it was. This awesome. offense is just incredible. Obviously, I wish Clemson would win every game for the next yes. 25 years. But I'm also a football fan. Yes, a couple of those. Passes that Burrow had, I was like, man, that was a beautiful play. The receiver, yeah. beautiful catch. Same way with Clemson, yes. Like ETN, oh, that was a fantastic run, or whoever it may be. I had the same. I had the
0: same reaction to as I was reacting so favorably to Joe Burrow, how he looked. Yep. Um, Higgins on that reverse that he just kept creating yeah, he just, space in just the just end zone, kept moving. Yeah, was, that's a. <laughs> be, like, it's just beautiful to watch. That's it's a just,
1: beautiful play. That's effort. That's heart. I mean, any any analogy, sports analogy you want to give to yeah. it. That's why I enjoy football, especially college football, because a lot of these guys will never play again. Yeah, they just won't. Yeah.
0: So uh, that it was quite the game in New yep. Orleans, and I, I think, think
1: you give LSU the credit, and they earned it. it I mean, it, it's, it, it's nothing bad to say about Clemson. Good things to say about LSU. I guess I could be. I'm being a smidge sarcastic here. At some
0: level, it I'm almost happy for them because I don't. I whereas with Clemson, I expect them to be back next year. Yeah. I don't. I think LSU is going to. I don't know, be in the Citrus Bowl
1: or something. Yeah, yeah they may be. Like you know? Looking at the schedule that just came out for Clemson last week, I fully expect them to be back in the playoff and to make the national championship again, especially with the announcement of ETN coming back. You've yeah. got these guys. So um, I don't think Clemson's going anywhere for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I said to, to someone fairly soon after the game who's a big Clemson fan, you know, maybe
0: make you could make yourself feel better with your number one recruiting class. Yeah, that's what I was
1: gonna say, and we didn't even talk about the guys that <laughs> enrolled early and the ones that are coming in the summer. Yeah. like it's ridiculous.
0: Put this, put the salve on it. You're right. gonna be okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, right.
1: You, you can, um, you can be comforted. All right, so
0: it was Etn coming back. Am I correct that Amari Rogers is? Yeah, Amari's
1: coming back. Niles Pinkney's coming back. Okay. Um, so they've got a lot of leadership coming back.
0: It is that D. It's that defensive line. That does have to get, like, it's, it's a weird thing with Clemson. They probably still had the second or third best defensive line in the country, but the last one was just so good.
1: No, the last one was not good. It was, it, that was an historic defensive line. Like, no, nobody puts that many draft picks in the league off of one unit. Nobody you does. just don't do that.
0: Consider a college backup at Clemson was drafted to the Lions. That's what I mean. Like, it, that's insane. Like, Come on. So that the defensive line is the one place uh, that they got to, I think, get a a smidge better. There was one player I did want to point out that I thought had a terrible game, Darian Kendrick. Yeah, Terrell, I I could, I actually felt some sympathy. Darian Kendrick had some dumb penalties. Just yeah, the third, the third
1: and nineteen. You really don't want to pass interfere when you're not even looking at the ball. You just plow into the guy and give him a first down. You're not even in the play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but you know, it's his first year at that. Sure. Sp- I get it. Like, there's there's things you can, we can all go back and watch the game, and say well, that was dumb, that was dumb. Right. But I'd rather just give LSU the credit, give Clemson the credit for a good year, another good year, and hey, see you next next season. And just can't wait till August. Yeah, just can't wait till August. This is the spring sad game's part. gonna be awesome. Okay, you go to the spring game. Yeah, I do. What's happening for me is
0: this this will air live on uh, Saturday, February first. The the Super Bowl happens,
1: and then, Kai. Like, football's gone. Are we not going to talk about the XFL? Is that the spring? Yeah. Yes! And I think this, this XFL product will not be the uh, clown show that the original XFL was, okay. where they tried to make football into wrestling with yes? the with the he hate yes. me and all that nonsense. I think this is going to be a legit football product. Hopefully, it does better than the last... This is one of the League reasons win. why you're my best friend.
0: You bring me good news. <laughs> good tidings. of Good joy. All right. We were all out of time. Thanks for talking about the game. I appreciate it. We'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Act Show next week. Until then, everybody. Peace and love.